Hi guys and welcome. This is Jen Gata Siciliano, artist, memoir writer, bipolar psychiatric survivor, and your host of Not As Crazy As You Think podcast, the place that offers an alternative perspective on mental illness, highlighting creativity, non-conventional healing, and breaking on through to the other side. If you are ready for a new narrative on the mental realm that celebrates crazy and cool without penalty, then Not As Crazy As You Think is for you. Hello, this is Jen Gata Siciliano, your host of Not As Crazy As You Think podcast. Thank you for listening. One of the most fascinating things about mental illness for most people is the state of psychosis. I think this is the state that conjures up the most fear in people's minds when they think of a mentally ill person, those people walking around on the street talking to themselves. And certainly, I've been in a state where my friends and family's concerns are understandable. But it's really part of the shaman's journey. On the inside of the institution, psychosis is always the worst possible pathological symptom. It doesn't matter if it's violent or enlightening. A disconnect with the way things are doesn't open up a conversation, but instead slams the door in the faces of those who depend on their imaginations to help them interpret reality, as artists do, to survive. The artist is often the seer, the one who can visualize a symbolic expression out of nothing, or the something that is her own mind, or a higher mind. Many who have these gifts in other cultures become revered shamans and spiritual shepherds for the tribe, the same people the Western world calls mentally ill. Not all artists experience states of mental distress, but the artist works with archetypes, which can only be realized indirectly through mediums such as story, art, myth, religion, and dreams. So the artist plays a major role in bridging the gap between realms. But for those who do fall into the gap, are we mentally ill or gifted? So many people who are labeled and cast aside through the mental health industry, they often can't make sense of their psychotic experiences. And then the psychiatric institution ushers themselves in as their healers and caretakers forevermore. So no one who is suffering gets well in the process. When I was on the inside in 2016, I was among my X-Men mutants, all of us having gifts of brilliance. I remember watching the entire Star Wars collection and Life of Pi together. We told stories in group therapy, but later when we took smoke breaks, we told the real stories. Two cigarettes each allowed. We did our horticulture projects together. We stayed up late and shared our pasts and ate cereal together, and we spoke truths to each other, something I rarely ever found on the outside. But many on the inside experiencing what psychiatry calls psychosis are what many other cultures consider a spiritual awakening. The shamanic world sees it as evidence of a breakthrough. Western medicine sees the same evidence as the result of faulty genetics and brain injury. So what is really true? In our lovely group therapy, instead of sharing the meanings behind the thematic elements that popped up in our psychoses, we instead were encouraged to mind probe and deconstruct each other's thought processes. But all this over-analysis of such a private space as the mind, especially when one is mentally vulnerable, 
can be highly invasive, feeling abusive. By convincing our future artists, intuitives, healers, and dreamers that they are all mentally ill, instead of encouraging them to find meaning out of their experience, the system prevents them, out of the sake of being right in their science, from honing their innate gifts and achieving true mental health. When I traveled to India in 1994 and suffered an acute form of dysentery alone on the streets of New Delhi, which, by the way, if you didn't catch, check out episode 10 of season two, and you could hear chapter five of my book where I begin to tell the journey of this trauma that did occur to me in India and that ended up leading to my breakdown back in New York. Upon the return home, after noticing for the first time the disparity between the greed and overindulgence of New York City streets juxtaposed with what I just witnessed in the slums of New Delhi, an altered perception tailspinned my mind into a spiraling tornado. And that's understandable. But after an emotional outburst in front of the wrong people that I could no longer control after the trauma... Showing such a state of ecstasy led to a lifelong sentence. And that's the reality us mentally ill modern shamans live in. I would not have returned home from India without the help of a family of angels who were directing my steps and providing me with symbolic information in a wakeful dream state. Because the spiritual world communicates with us with the language we employ them, my DNA code seemed linked to these symbols as though only I could interpret them in a unique way. And I did arrive home, after all, and I believe it was only because I listened to a guidance larger than myself, which provided me with an awareness I had never known before, and which was now being challenged in the psychiatric institution based on their own limited understanding of reality. The psychiatric institution regards such stories as illusionary and delusional. Rather than considering alternative possibilities that create these states, it teaches us that there is something fundamentally wrong with all those afflicted, something innate that causes our states. My mental and physical strain in India was traumatic and life-threatening, but they treated it as if it wasn't part of the equation at all in their very expert analysis of the situation. With my journey to and back from India, I came to perceive a multi-dimensional reality that would never leave me again, much like what indigenous shamans perceive through the depth and power of symbols in their journey not merely the shadowy forms of the one tiny objective worldview that was taken as fact at home. The psychiatric institution is as far away from the truth as it can possibly be. Reality is an inner experience. It is personal to each one of us. It's what we each see to be present in our own circle of awareness. I knew right away that the institution was completely wrong, because they were unaware of what my mind was experiencing, because they had not seen as a collective what I had seen in India. That real set of facts was absent from their understanding of the situation, and since they ignored it to begin with, it was never factored in. And yet their authority on the matter took over 
the rest of my life. What I really truly needed was soul retrieval. For the shaman, a technique described as soul retrieval is based on the idea that the soul can suffer depletion of life energy as a result of a trauma and that a fragment can become detached. Through an altered state of awareness, the shaman is able to locate and retrieve the disconnected fragment for an individual who has lost a relevant part of her life, resulting in a sense of incompleteness or a loss of soul radiance. It's not sufficient to just locate and retrieve, though. The shaman needs to return it to the individual so that they can integrate it. So for a novice shaman who needs to retrieve her soul on her own, so many of us never get to the other side. It's very difficult to integrate when as soon as they over-medicate you and put an end to the voices, the integration process is halted and the soul left unrepaired. The word shaman can be translated as the one who knows. It's in the wakeful dream state the shaman knows through experiencing, coexisting realities with ordinary everyday life. In Native American circles, shamans were believed to connect to their spirit guides through intense ritual and brave willingness to enter another level of consciousness. Shamanism is not a religion, but a set of techniques that help one navigate in a wakeful dream in order to collect information and bring it back to the tribe. In their communities, if a state of mental illness occurred in one of the people, the shaman needed to commune with the other side and enter another dimension where healing could be extracted for the good of the afflicted. Tribal shamanic cultures see the mentally ill as having access to two worlds, the ethereal and the physical. Shamans have the ability to serve as the bridge between realms merging with the world of the spirit and gathering information from a spiritual source that can help those who suffer emotional or mental strain. However, those in training are guided by experienced shamans and are taught how to navigate their way on the other side and safely return back so that madness does not manifest in their psyches. Many mentally ill patients essentially enter the wakeful dream state when the dream world crosses over into reality. These ethereal zones hold dream imagery with allegorical significance. One journeys in that space by making meaning of this symbolism and then builds upon those meanings in the journey to gain clarity. Because we deny the connection to spirit in Western psychiatry, there are no other shamans in our culture to guide us out of the journey if we get stuck. However, people are trying to spread the message more from indigenous cultures. I happened to study with Evan Pritchard this past year, and he's been such a wonderful influence in helping me open my eyes to the way that it makes sense to me, and therefore I know it's true. The Native American path of earth-based spirituality makes meaning behind a psychotic experience. If you have a thought and put a lot of emotions and actions behind it, it instigates movement and it will soon turn into manifestation. Oftentimes through these psychotic episodes, as the institution would call them, there are rituals, there is acting out, there is loud expressions of and the more energy you put behind those things, you feel the journey speeding up and making more and more sense. 
everything holds spirit in Native American cultures. And through proper understanding of these energies, through knowledge that is passed down the line, we can invite these energies in safely. But we need to make sure the spirits leave, which requires grounding. This is where we go astray. Preparation before entering a journey, using words with structure to prepare for entities in advance, can do a great deal of laying out the foundation of what to expect, how to direct the journey before it even begins. But we don't learn any of these things in our culture because they're not real, according to the Western view of objective reality. But we can do so consciously and deliberately so we do not lose our footing when hearing the voices of our ancestors. Olga Ronkeman, voice hearer, psychiatric nurse in locked wards and incurable paranoid schizophrenic psychiatric survivor and also a board member of the Man in America organization, stated in an article in Psychology Today in April 2016 So post-psychiatry, by viewing distress from a multifaceted perspective and taking a more nuanced approach, is not trapped in a monologue of madness. Treating patients' experiences as meaningful is profoundly threatening to the medical model of madness that is dependent on meaninglessness or the supposition that lived lives are of secondary importance. Indeed, The threat posed to the medical model by considering madness meaningful is overwhelming. It also becomes clear why there is such resistance to acknowledging the discrepancy between psychiatry and service user knowledge. The patient never knows what is real, according to psychiatry. Today's Western psychiatric medicine is not in the practice of guiding the initiated home into healing, So many creative people and healers are willing to enter this state of madness alone, regardless of how overwhelming or precarious. And I knew too well that the dreamy context of these psychotic states would never be explored or taken seriously, because to this institution, they don't believe the statement of the great romantic poet William Blake, who asserted, mental things are alone real. For many creative bipolars, entering these alternate layers of reality allows them to process their environment and try to interpret it sensibly. This other reality I experienced held realer and truer memories for me than anything else in my life, each and every time. Everything else in my past falls away as illusion. So in my personal experience, without any assistance as to how to break through these different layers of reality that madness sits in or the wakeful dream state, I was never able to harness the knowledge of such a gift or hone any of its techniques. For creatives, this dreamy state is where inspiration sits. Its terrain isn't one of logic or measurement, but rather symbolism containing images that hold special meaning like that of a dream. Because all we are inside our minds are the symbols that remain as part of our consciousness from memories past. 
And here is where we can slip and lose sight of the whole picture. Many of us who unexpectedly find ourselves in that ethereal zone, collecting our bits and pieces of symbolism in order to tell our stories, do get lost along the way home to reality that we all agree upon is objective reality. But it's in that timeless dimension where the collective unconscious of symbolism sits. The wakeful dream state which offers us visions of past and present and future. When I entered these states, the symbolic messages were highly personal and always meaningful, as they contained premonitions of psychic memories of the people of yesterday who walked the same path in finding their symbolic story of the environment in which they lived. Dr. Joseph K. Dixon describes symbolic interpretation in his book in 1913, The Vanishing Race, These primitive men hold time and money and ambition as nothing. But a dream or a cloud in the sky or a bird flying across the trail from the wrong direction or a change of the wind will challenge their deepest thoughts. To the Indian mind, all signs are symbolic. Young believed that dream imagery contains symbols deriving from our shared collective unconscious, from which we all can access the same meanings. It was obvious to me that these themes that consistently appeared in my psychotic states were not telling the story about my hang-ups, but rather this dreamlike symbolism was like a magical realism, which led me through the underworld and helped me understand my reality. To others, family, friends, who are watching these episodes, these symbolic impressions may seem weird, disconnected, strange, unsettling. But for the shaman inside the journey, the reading of these symbols is vital to discovering one's unique understanding of how the universe is connecting to her or him. Back in December 2017, I was trying to wrap up the trauma of India all these years later because I was never allowed to work through it. This time, a couple of my friends witnessed it, and I am well aware how strange it seemed. I actually have tapes of the experience. I had a recording device on my phone during this time period, hoping, I guess, to to capture something like this, and I did. And when I was listening to it just recently, I was hmm, not surprised, but... You know, I heard all the voice, me speaking to all the voices on the other end of the phone, and Nan- my friend Nancy was trying to speak to me, and she was very good at trying to enter my world. But because there was no shared language, it was very hard to remain in the same space. When I was speaking to her and many others at once, it may not look like any kind of reality that we know, but the role of someone who's trying to help that person come back. They need to try to enter that person's reality. We must assume there is more than one reality. This is where their psychiatric science fails. But quantum science knows better. But I know it does sound crazy. Many people, when walking into an institution, they tell stories of the FBI chasing them, or they believe they're Moses. They are hearing whispers from the other side. But when one really gets to know these people, they're bursting with creativity and the universe is commuting with them through symbolic dream imagery so they can better understand themselves and their larger purpose. Many of this communication inside the journey is explored through impressions. 
They're not to be taken literally. What is the feeling underneath the experience that's be trying to be communicated? That's the impression, and that's what you leave with. And that's what you can take home as your treasure. After much learning and making mistakes along the way and continually being open to learn, I let the inspiration hit me as it wills. Sometimes there is none. But some inspiration is reminiscent of those days past with powerful ecstatic rushes. I couldn't write enough or paint fast enough. In these states, I respond to the call of my creative muses and enter ecstatic prayer and deep trances in shamanic journeying late into the night, which can be a no-no in the psychiatric world. But I dare to make the journey. Connecting with my celestial creative muses is always a private affair, and when that landscape opens up, energies from the other side can communicate, whether they are my angel guardians, bloodline ancestors, or indigenous spirits from the world of yesterday. That spirit is alive and vibrant when I enter that space with committed intention. I've learned for decades how to hide my inspiring moments so that I can safely access them without people thinking I'm having an episode. And then when no one is watching, I enter my shamanic journey without fear or hesitation. Some people in the field who are looking for other interpretations of psychosis outside the biomedical model see madness as a process. Madness can be seen as a gift. Learning about this gift is a lifelong process. But in order to live within our minds, it must be loved into growing and expanding into more, not considered diseased. I have gone through many journeys I couldn't break out of for reasons I am beginning to understand. These are the ones that unfortunately led to hospitalizations. But in learning about grounding techniques, as I still continue to do, I regularly enter these states now, and I'm no longer afraid of the voices because they speak through me in love. I realize that I am an empath and that these entities are loving and filled with insight and awareness I've received an email regarding an article I wrote on shamanism years ago, which this podcast is based on. He said, I have often struggled with the question of manic hallucinations being real or not. Lately, I have been leaning towards that the experiences are real, but on a different type of dimension. This morning, I made a leap to a place that it was both real and not real at the same time. Then it occurred to me that a manic hallucination was likely the emergence of the dream world and reality. It means a lot to me to reach out to a community, to envision an alternative path for mental health issues, because this discussion in the psychiatric circle who has grabbed its monopoly around such discussions, they decide what's real or true. And in a system that punishes you for accessing a deeper truth that will keep you in a state of a diseased mind. If we were to create a system instead that helped you integrate and use your gifts for service, what would that look like? How would it work? There are no easy answers because an alternative has never been respected or even allowed as proper medical treatment in Western society. To begin with, in order for an alternative system to work, it needs to eliminate the words 
disease, illness, and disorder. It would put the power of interpretation into the hands of the experiencer rather than in the hands of the omniscient knower or psychiatrist. It begins with the letting go of a presupposed trust of extreme views of the mental realm, which is pushed in modern Western medicine as only biologically based, and open up instead the conversation to realities in other worlds or mental realms, which would explain most, if not all, extreme mental illness experiences. Starting from there, it would be a system that embraces healing without psychiatric meds, with the assumption that people can get well and stay well from anything related to mental stress. It would provide services that encourage self-exploration, self-acceptance, and creativity. And from here, there's a lot of envisioning we need to do. A society centered around true healing, compassion, and real needs for the human spirit is what we need. Instead, we compare ourselves to animals of our evolution of yesterday instead of preparing and making a path for our spiritual evolution of tomorrow, allowing a higher consciousness to guide us. We can make a quantum leap forward, but if we stick to the old story with the abnormals and the normals and the diseased mind and the superior mind, and the forced drugging and involuntary hospitalizations against patients' wills, we won't get there. The shamanistic journey is the only true thing that has healed me over the years and continues to do so. But in order for these kinds of compassionate systems to be used for any kind of treatment in the future, these worldviews must be seen as real. But in psychiatry's insistence that they know the only reality with their supreme judgment, they are hearkening back to the reins of colonialism. And we will be kept there back in time if we don't start dancing in the quantum field and choose something new. Thanks for listening to Not As Crazy As You Think, and don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And remember, mental health is attainable for anyone, especially those labeled with mental illness. Until next time, peace out.